This episode of Into the Wild is brought to you by Leica Sport Optics. As the world opens up and we're able to venture forth and go and explore again, it's essential that we have the kit we need so we don't leave nature hotspots disappointed. With that in mind, I cannot recommend Leica Sport Optics enough. Leica not only have a great range of optics for a wide range of uses, but they also offer finance plans to help people like me that would rather pay bit by bit. I'm currently using the Leica HD Ultravids, and now I can clearly see all the birds that I am also still unable to identify. Read more about Leica's range via their website in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild. I'm your host, Ryan Dalton. As always, thanks for clicking play on the pod. Hello nerds, welcome to the show, how you doing? This is the penultimate episode of Into the Wild for 2021, our 86th episode. That's mad. We've got one more episode coming out next Monday the 20th and then we're done for this weird, bizarre, crazy, mind-boggling year. (laughs) And then we're all going to enter 2022 and everything's gonna be fine. Do you know what I always say on these intros how I've not done much nature stuff recently and it's not because I don't want to. You lot know I love nature and wildlife. But just being in London, it's so hard to try and go out and find stuff and have the time and not be packed full of people. But recently, guess where I went? I went on a bit of an exploration of my own with 32 of the most wholesome, lovely, nature-loving, smiley-faced people to the Isle of Bute in Scotland. We had such a good weekend in our rented accommodation. And I will say this, lateral flows were taken and everyone was safe. But I met up with old power mine, Lucy Hodson, a.k.a. Lucy Lapwing, a.k.a. Lappers. And I also also met up with some people I've been following on social media and I've been dying to meet for a while but never had the chance to. I met up with the brilliant Ben Porter and Sarah Humphrey, a.k.a. Sussex Sarah on Instagram as well. And we went up to the Isle of Butte. We stayed on this beautiful area of West Scotland and we just had a great time. We went for a lovely nature walk. We saw otter scat. We never got to see otters, but it was fresh. We all gave it a bit of a but we never saw the otters. Um, we, I say we, um, Sarah, Sussex Sarah, saw some eiders without binoculars about 80 meters away, which is amazing. It was just a lovely, wholesome, nature weekend and I absolutely adored it. So I want to shout out to the Butte Crew 2021 and for giving me that awesome time away. But now, ladies and gentlemen, this is where I would usually do 60 Second Nature News. However, I want to update you all on our project Beyond the Trigger because there's been some disappointing changes. But let me update you on what's going on. So I'm going to try and give you a 60 Second Beyond the Trigger update. Here we go. Oscar, do the music thing. (laughs) Let's go. We were all set and ready. We had COVID tests, travel, accommodation and interviews all ready to fly from London on January 17th, 2022 to Namibia, where we would then be guided by Maxi Lewis from Naxo through to different conservancies to meet with local people to discuss trophy hunting. However, a new COVID variant has put the brakes on these plans. With travel stopped, it means we have to sit back and wait for things to be safe again for us to continue with the project. For us, this is annoying but not the end of the world. For Namibia, this is damaging. And that's the same for other Southern African countries too. 
Only open for one month, they are now back on a travel ban or strict restrictions. And I really do hope this ends soon for the people and the safe future of African wildlife. But for now, we are back in the Beyond the Trigger waiting room. There you go, there is our Beyond the Trigger update. It's not much, it's a bit of a bummer, but you know, we'll get through this and this project will still be happening. I cannot wait to get out to Africa and make this super important show about trophy hunting, about what people think about the activity, hearing it from the right people in Africa. It will happen, people. Fingers crossed, let's do this. We're all set, we're ready to go. Got the cameras rolling, we're just waiting for Ryan to get out there. Okay, there you go. That was the update of Beyond the Trigger. Not great news. I'm sorry to throw a bit of a negative spin at you, but I wanted to update you of what's going on. We are super excited to still be going out there, but just, just not quite yet, not quite yet. Ryan was looking forward to a winter holiday, but not, not yet. Anyway, on to today's show. Beatles, not the band. I'm not talking about the band. Obviously, I'm talking about the animal. One of the largest groups of animals with so many different varieties, and I've never spoken about them on Into the Wild, so I had to do an episode talking about these wonderful creatures. Now, long-time listeners of the show will know when I decide to talk about a topic, I like to try and find the best person to talk to, and to be honest, nerds, there was only one person I could talk to about beetles, and that was the assistant curator of entomology at the National Museum of Scotland, Ash Whiffin. I connected with Ash on social media a while ago and I have absolutely loved all her pictures of behind the scenes at the museum of the different artifacts and the different beetle species and I was super excited to get the chance to talk to her about these wonderful animals. But where do you start with talking about beetles? There's so many of them. So I hope my questions were not too broad, but it was an absolute pleasure to get this chance to talk to Ash and I really do hope you enjoyed this chat because let's face it, who doesn't love a beetle? So sit back, grab a cup of tea and welcome this episode Beatles with Ash Whiffin. Hello, Ash. Ash or Ashley? Which do you prefer? Either. Ash is good. Ash is good. Ash, let's go with Ash. Welcome to Into the Wild. How are you and how has your day been? Oh, thanks so much for having me, Ryan. Yeah, it's been it's been an all right day. It was a Tuesday that felt like a Monday. But other than that, yeah. It... Oh. <laughs> it's because I worked from home yesterday. A bit discombobulated. Oh, so structure of day feels like a Monday. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. We can deal with that. <laughs> but yeah, it was good. I'm good. I'm in lovely Edinburgh. It's getting a bit chilly. It was dark at four o'clock. Um, yeah, yeah, we're getting there. How do you cope with this time of year? Are you like, mm. like one of the... Because I'm a bit of a sads person. Yeah, it, it does get to me. I realised that I hadn't been out for a walk the other day and kicked myself because I was really needing some daylight time and I should have just done it, but didn't. was suffering as a result, yeah. It's about, I got back the other day from work and my girlfriend had just, <laughs> just a pot of vitamin D tablets on the side. It's like, you know what time of year you're in when they come out of the cup. <laughs> and we work outdoors, for God's sake. <laughs> and they're still on the side. Yeah, I know. So, um, well, Edinburgh, you're going to be cold, though, in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. I have done the thing. I did flick the heating on earlier. Mate, I don't blame you. I've got it on now in London. What? How long do you usually wait? Well, I was, trying to, I was trying to see how long I could go this year, but yeah, I got to November and was like, oh. Mate, I'm proud. Thank you. That's, I'm very proud of you for <laughs> Edinburgh. <laughs> I know people that have had it on in August in Edinburgh. <laughs> and I'm an English lass. Like I've been, in, um, I've been in Edinburgh for about seven and a bit years now. And it was really funny. I really felt the cold when I first moved up here. Um, but then after being here just a couple of years, I acclimatised, right? And the most satisfying thing was when my parents came up to visit and they were like, oh, actually, it's cold. Do you want to put the heating on? I was like, no, put a jumper on, Dad. No. <laughs> that's what you used to say to me. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway. Put a jumper on and drink this mulled wine. And shut up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's always lovely to have the in-laws yeah. and parents. Well, let's get on to the main first question, Ash. Is Do you want to start by telling us who you are and what is it you do? Mm. Uh, yeah, so I'm Ash, Ash Whiffin, Ashley Whiffin. I am an entomologist and I'm an entomologist that's based in a museum. So I'm a museum curator uh, working with a big, big collection of dead bugs. Um, and it's my job <laughs> to look after said dead bugs. Um, yeah, so I work at National Museum Scotland based in Edinburgh and we've got a collection of two and a half million insects. So what? It's my job to care for that collection, manage it, develop it and make it accessible to both scientists and to the general public. Okay, when you say care for that collection, mm. obviously their specimens are dead. They are, yes. What kind of care do <laughs> dead specimens need? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So they, they don't just look after themselves. Um, once you've got... <laughs> Anything but. <laughs> once you've got preserved collections like this, um, they do need maintenance. You know, they require very specific conditions to stay nice and in pristine condition. So that's, you know, your, your temperature and your humidity has got to be controlled. And you've got to also keep the pesky pests out. So there are like just oh, no, a few wait, yeah. species that we don't like in the museum world. <laughs> you know, like your clothes moths, your carpet beetles. Those are kind of the enemy yeah. for dead bugs, right? Because it's like a, mm. it's like a free meal on a pin and vintage clothing <laughs> yeah and vintage clothing yeah and taxidermy um so unfortunately yeah, a few insects that i don't like um and and i do appreciate them i think they're fantastic at being able to locate our precious collections but um yeah we don't want them inside our stores how do you keep clove moths at bay and i ask mm. because um, i found a couple in my house they, they seem to be touch wood at bay but that's with a few I think that we got lavender. Oh, right. <laughs> and I found some card things that you can just put in drawers. And apparently yeah. that keeps them away. Yeah, I don't know about lavender. In in the museum environment, we use traps. So we will use pheromone mm. traps, which lure them in. And yeah, and they stick to the sticky part of the trap. It's, it's not actually very nice, but it's it's really important. So guys, it's important. It, it is. is. Yeah, we don't want them destroying our 120-year-old specimens, so um, it's got to be done. I think that's fair. Also, I've, I've, I want to ask one thing, because you said bugs a minute ago. Now, I don't know if this is, but what I always hear insects or bugs be used. Can we use them meaning the same thing? Because I've heard chats about this before. It does divide entomologists massively. So <laughs> if you're it? British entomologist... <laughs> it ruins parties. <laughs> yeah. I'm seriously frowned at for use, my use of the word bugs. Um, it, it's, it's kind of more Americanized. Um, so it's bugs okay. in, in, in America means all insects. But if you say bugs in the UK, uh, you might just be implying true bugs, hemiptera. So, yeah. <laughs> true bugs? True bugs. You know, the ones that have like a rostrum. Uh, your shield bug oh, is, right, okay. is a true bug. So... so <laughs> Some of my colleagues would frown at me for the use of that. But my partner's American and I've got American family, so I feel like it's totally valid. It's the same reason why you say you take the trash out, mate. We get it. We get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, half the time we have no idea what you're saying, Ash. But we know, you know <laughs> speaking to your audience. Um, next main question. So I'm going to start, uh, stop asking these little probing questions. <laughs> Wildlife and nature, Ash, what does it mean to you? means everything yeah 
nature flows through like loads of different streams of my life. Obviously, I, I work I work on wildlife, I work on insects as part of my job, but I am pretty obsessed with entomology. Uh, so <laughs> my home decor, you know, my, my friends, my spare time, entomology is a, pretty much everywhere in my life. And it is something that I just really, really enjoy. I'm really passionate about it. So nature is a huge part of my life. Um, and I devote quite a bit of time to just sharing that passion and trying to show other people that it's just so mm. essential makes you feel good and we should all appreciate nature a bit more you said home decor so now i've got to ask what's the most entomology themed bit of decor you have please tell me there's a rug somewhere which is just a giant beetle no that would be amazing and i have that got would be my, amazing wouldn't it? i have got my heart set on that amazing looking wardrobe that is a beetle have you seen that that was going around that was one of them no. viral things that sounds like something from egypt <laughs> That's amazing. I'll send you a link. Um, I've got everything. Cushions. Yeah, all the artwork. Mugs, coasters, pencil case, you know, everything. You name it, I've got it. I just love, like, walking into your living rooms, like, lifting up a log. Just, <laughs> just everything <laughs> run, running around. That'd be amazing. Um, so this week, obviously, I've got Ash here with me. So we're not just talking about entomology, I guess. We're, we're talking about a specific group of insects, which is beetles. Which I think, when I, when I sat down, Ash, it's not often that I sit down and struggle to write questions. But for this one, I struggled because I don't know a lot about beetles, but I just know there's so much to know about yeah. a massively diverse group of insects. So I described it in our email as a heavy topic <laughs> did, <laughs> compared yeah. to some of the things we've spoken about <laughs> on Into the Wild. I feel like that term might have got a bit confusing. But what I mean is there's so much. So we're talking about beetles today. Um, we're going to start with that. So my my first main question to you, Ash, is what do you love about beetles? I don't know if your question should be like, what don't you love about beetles? I love everything Would about beetles. Would that be easier? <laughs> I think the main thing that is like the big draw is their diversity. It it blows my mind how how incredibly diverse they are, how rich their form and colour and all the different varieties that they come in, they really are spectacular. And I think if you don't pay attention, you don't see this often. So it's a kind of hidden diversity for most people. Yeah. Um, so as soon as you open that can of worms, like, bam, beetle diversity just smacks you in the face and blows you away. <laughs> I think when you said the colours there, that's so that's so true. Because I think this year, was it this summer I was doing like some macro photography in my girlfriend's mum's garden. It's full of insects in there. And I, I found, was it a thick thighed beetle? Was that a thing? Oh, yeah. And I just, once I'd got the picture and I'd edited it, I was just looking at the colour of it, like this neon green and yeah, gold and silver. Green. I was just like, there's about, yeah, I was like, there's about nine colors here depending on the angle you look at this mm -hmm. animal and it was just i just sat there for ages and i just kept showing people going look at that like isn't that amazing <laughs> they're like yeah it's all right i was like no look at the colors like if you saw that on and if you saw a car in that color you would stop and admire it yeah you would. and this is something that this animal just has yeah the iridescent ones really get you pull at your heartstrings <laughs> <laughs> pull at your heartstrings can't um, just be me <laughs> You, the, the, the thing is, the way you say it, you're looking at yourself going, it might just be me, but it can't just be me. <laughs> no, I know it's not. <laughs> so what makes a beetle a beetle as well? Mm, yeah, okay. So the key features that 
make an insect a beetle? Number one is it's elytra. Elytra is the kind of techie word for the hardened wing cases. So this is what kind of gives beetles their kind of almost like shell-like appearance. And it's their their Mm. armour, effectively. Most beetles, the elytra are pretty tough and shell-like, and this protects their like really delicate hindwings that are underneath the forewings. So they're, you know, they're like flies, really membranous, fragile little wings often. So they get protected by the hard exterior. Though there are a few beetles that don't fly. So that hardened exterior helps them in other ways. Maybe they're ground dwelling, so they've got to move around through the leaf litter, under logs, tunnel into the ground. So having that Mm. really robust armour just helps protect their internal organs and whatnot so you've got the elytra the wing cases um but also all beetles have chewing mouth parts so they're armed with pretty fierce mandibles a lot of the time especially if they're (laughs) predatory species um nice so yeah they've got these kind of chewing mouth parts so those are they're the two things that make a beetle yeah separate from other insects yeah now this i think this question is going to be like I, i don't know if there is even an answer i don't know i felt like there wasn't but how many species do we know how many species of beetle there are yeah yeah well i can't remember the exact number but it's approximately four hundred thousand species of described beetles so these are just ones that scientists know of there is definitely more just waiting to be discovered but this number's pretty large um and it means that one in five of every living thing in the world is a beetle <laughs> one in five <laughs> that's mad See you later, mammals. Like beetle yeah, diversity few birds. is where it's at. Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I find that funny because, like, when we say one, but with statistics like that, we're so used to going like, you know, one in five people. But when we say one in five things in a room, that means if you're in a room with five, things, five one of them's a beetle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which makes Christmas dinner very awkward at the time. <laughs> means one of you here is a beetle. <laughs> this is where conspiracy theories start, Ash. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. 400,000. When you say that we know of or that we've described, I always... That that makes me laugh as well because I'm always like, do you, do you reckon there ever be a day where we go right? That's it, we got them all. That's all the Beatles. No, because there will never be enough funding for science and for taxonomists, and that will be the. Well, oh, that's why. a depressing reason why. Yeah, it's really depressing. <laughs> well, what's worse is that species are going extinct before they're even assigned a name. Right? That's what. Oh. That's what's really awful and you're almost more likely to encounter a new species by going um, and examining museum collections than walking out and going on an expedition or something oh that's i mean i guess they're more lined up in a museum as well (laughs) yeah i mean they're ready for ready ready to be examined (laughs) they're like kind of they're all there if they're lined up like that in the in the forest then maybe i'd (laughs) be like right now i can see you all Uh, queuing up outside Tesco's as well, then maybe I'd have a better chance. <laughs> um, I'm getting more and more upset every time I go for a walk. When I, I like this is such a strange sentence. So don't judge me on the sentence. I won't. I, li- I like to lift a log when I'm on yeah. a walk. No, that sounds perfectly normal to me. <laughs> okay, good because when I say it to my friends, they go, "Sorry, what the hell does that mean? Is that an innuendo?" And I'm like, "No, I literally will lift a log in the forest." Um, <laughs> But each time I'm doing it, it seems to be less and less there. Hmm. Is that, I don't know why, I don't know if that's just me looking in the wrong places, but I'll lift up something that I'm like, that's prime habitat. That's like, this is going to be like Shoreditch for hipsters under here. Like, I'm going to lift that up. It's going to be, 
folks. But there's just like, you know, there's really genuinely nothing that the eye can spot straight away. Oh, that's sad I'm getting more hear. and more of that in London. Yeah. I but d- I don't know if that's a trend or just ryan's log selection (laughs) i guess also it that will um the time of year will influence what you're finding in the winter months you'll you will likely find a lot more because there are a lot of beetles and things that will overwinter so spend that cold period in a nice cozy place under a log under a bit of moss or whatever yeah potentially now is a better time to look okay does it disturb them much if I see them in winter? Do you know, it, it varies. <laughs> I find that some species are disturbed more easily than others, but generally not. <laughs> like, if you lift the log up, unless you start poking them around, like they're, they're fine. You can take a picture and, then, and then put it back. Are you ready for the hardest question of the podcast? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite species of beetle? Oh, does it have to be a species? I mean... You tell me your answer, and then I'll say whether your answer is acceptable. <laughs> I, I, I really do dislike this question. <laughs> it's, 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 Finally, someone's told me it on the podcast. It. It's really hard. I, I'll say, We've I got to say, ask it. I can say group. And like, if anyone's ever met me or heard of what I do, then, then it's You're not just being polite, though, are you? Huh? You're not just being polite against the Beatles or entomologists. You are like, you're not like, you know, when you ask a parent, they're like, no, no. But really, they're like, I have got a favourite, yeah. Uh, no, okay. I, I do have a favourite group. I couldn't pick a species within my group. I think that's what I'll say. So my favourite group is okay. carrion beetles. So beetles in the family, Silphidae. Yeah. Um, and it it's because they are so underrated. They're not the typically glamorous insects, you know, they're not bees, so not everybody's like loving them. Um, but they are incredibly <laughs> important. So they're totally underrated, undervalued, and they also have some really badass behaviors. So that's why they're my favorite. Bad- I've got some species here, I'm gonna list some. I'm determined. Of carrion beetle. Of car- well, I think so. That's what Google's telling me they yeah, yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> you might correct me and be like, no, Ryan, that's a frog. <laughs> well, no. You've completely got off the scale. Um, American burying beetle. Necrophorus americanus, yes. Oh, this is going to be impressive. This is where I'm going to be like, you can, you can be the host of Into the Wild now, you win. <laughs> um, what what would you, they're not near a favourite? Um, okay, how do you know this? <laughs> yeah, okay, that is... That's probably one of my favourite carrion beetles that I've had the opportunity to meet. Because that's, obviously, as the name indicates, it's an American species. It's one of the largest Mm. burying beetles that we have in the world. And it's also really special because it is endangered. Its distribution and populations massively declined over the years. Um, They think due to habitat fragmentation mixed with loss of resource. So it's it's possibly, um, it was a big user of the passenger pigeons before they went extinct so affected Uh, by that as well quite possibly but it's just a gorgeous big beetle and it has this amazing ability of burying the dead animal that it encounters and so it turns a dead bird into a lovely little nursery underground to raise its offspring it's just just charming right that's amazing that is just coincidence i've just googled carrion beetle species and that's number one on the list so clearly a popular one it is yeah um let me name a few more let me see okay uh necrophorus vespillo 
Yeah, this is our bent-legged burying beetle. I'm pretty <laughs> proud of that one because actually that is a that is a common name that I helped come up with. Um, so we recently, almost a year ago, published our first book about yeah. carrying beetles and clown beetles of Britain and Ireland. And for that exercise, we had to come up with some common names because, I mean, again, that divides entomologists. You know, the value of the scientific name versus the common name and if things really need common names. But I think for um, science communication and for spreading awareness of insects and, you know, popularising it, a common name is really, really useful. I agree. People get so much anxiety about how they, how they pronounce scientific names. And I still do. Do you know what? And because of uh, what I do, I see the value in both of them. We cannot... We cannot describe and identify and um, help in any way our insect biodiversity without having names for them. And scientific names are amazing mm. because, A, they often translate to some feature that does help describe that species. But we don't, we've, a lot of us don't speak in that, um, don't know Latin. Sorry. Oh, so that's so, the power of it. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's what it does. But also it transcends any nationality right so it doesn't matter what language you speak mm. everyone has uses the same scientific name for that species whereas across different countries mm. we've all developed our own common names so yeah okay, no, that's, okay that makes names sense. are really important for that and yeah that's a whole other kettle of fish <laughs> what about <fun>. numbers <laughs> you just give them all a number no hard pass <laughs> We could just do it alphabetically. Ryan, we've just discussed that there are 400,000 different beetles. That's fine. No, sorry, I'm not going to make your job harder. (laughs) (laughs) No, if we all took 10 each, it'd be fine. No, no, still no. I feel like you're suddenly like, Ryan, can we just move off this topic now, please? You're stressing me out. Right, I... Like I said, I was struggling to write questions for the show because beetles is such a large topic. So I said to my girlfriend, Christina, any questions about beetles when I'm talking to an entomologist for the podcast tomorrow? Um, So I want to make it clear I did not come up with this question. Okay. Ash, if you could be a beetle for a day, what beetle would you be? Okay, so I wouldn't be a carrion beetle because I don't want to eat rotten flesh, okay? No offence to them. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that. I love them. I love them dearly, but I don't want to live that lifestyle. It's just not for me. Um, yeah. I also like my second favourite group of dung beetles. I also don't want to eat poop for a living. Like, I, that's just not what I'm down for either. So it, it's not either of those. Um, I think, you know, part of me would really like to be one of the predatory species, you know, be one of the badass beetles that the is badass beetles. really nice. fierce. Like, no one wants to mess with them. And there's so many. You've got some amazing ground beetles, the carabids, with their really, you know, they're like tiger beetles, right? They're super fast. Yeah. They're like some of the fastest animals that there are. And they're really fierce predators. But maybe one that's even better is uh, one of the diving beetles, the great diving beetle, right? For a start, great is in the name. So you're just fantastic. <laughs> so um, already on for a winner. <laughs> but not only can they swim and breathe underwater, they can also fly. Mm. So they've got the land and the water covered, right? What, what else do you need? Jack of all trades. <laughs> also, they have like quite a varied diet. So they, they're predatory, both the larvae and the adults um, predate other invertebrates in the water. Uh, but they also can eat small frogs and small fish. Oh, my God. 
What a badass. But then part of me is like, oh, no, I don't want to be a predatory beetle. So <laughs> I'd quite like to be one of the shiny ones. I'd quite like to be like a nice, like, one of the ones that makes people go, oh, or like, ooh, that's nice. And there's, like, <laughs> there's loads of those. There's loads of those. Because those are like the gateway beetles that make people, like, change their mind. And like, yes. Oh, yeah, beetles are, beetles are really cool. So that could be nice. Yeah. And probably my favourite one that's shiny is... Um, golden scarab this is a species of chrysina yes. uh, scarab beetle and it lives in costa rica so that would be really nice so I think that would be you're winning place. all round yeah so in other words i <laughs> can't choose eat? there's a few take your pick there's you a can few. choose for me I, at least i know there's reason that i know the ones you're not gonna be <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i won't ever forget that okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you brought up carrion beetles a minute ago and i was going to ask you that because you talk about them a lot. Yeah, it's clearly because you love them. So you said there's only a few. They're kind of like an underdog species. But what makes these babes special to you? Why do you love the carrion beetles? Yeah, because they are kind of the underdogs. A lot of people either don't know about them, or if they do know about them, they're just like, "Ooh, dead stuff," and oh, that's gross. <laughs> but what they're not thinking about is how important that service is that they're providing us. Right. So they're. Carrion yeah. beetles are part of nature's like very own recycling team, right? They're the original mm. recyclers. Carrion beetles, blowflies, they are all really important in helping break down dead bodies. And so, you know, if you've got a dead bird or a dead mouse or something, the insects come along and they will clear that up. And they're not just clearing it up, they're recycling that energy. So making sure that it's broken down and basically turning it into new life, which is pretty amazing without bursting into great, like yeah. some lion king like singing here um it, <laughs> it is the circle of life isn't it it's just how yeah. nature designed it and intended it and it works so perfectly um what i studied when i was an undergrad i did forensic science and that's actually how i got into this group of insects because i put out a bunch of dead rabbits for my research and then like monitored the different species <laughs> that came in yeah, it was brilliant i smelled like death for like three months um <laughs> It's just amazing that each species kind of has its little niche, even within this bigger niche. So you've got some that are attracted to like the active stage of decomposition. Hope you're not eating your dinner, anybody. And then those that focus on the later stages and no part of a, a carcass goes to waste. Even the fur mm. feathers that is fed on by something and recycled. So carrion beetles play an important part in that. Not only that, as I just mentioned, forensics, they have applications in forensic science. So if the dead body was of a human, they would act as insect evidence. So if it was a suspicious death, if it was a murder investigation, if there were insects on the body, they could be used to help provide a timeline. So they can be used Whoa. based on their life cycles, based on the time and the, the species composition that is on a body, you could work out an estimate of time since death, which is pretty incredible that's insane i mean mm. they and they don't even get a medal of honor no i know <laughs> they should each and every one of them should have a little badge i feel like the <laughs> csi somewhere should have like a carrion beetle like clack somewhere saying <laughs> cheers lads <laughs> <laughs> yeah that'd be great <laughs> like they should be recognized somewhere yeah <laughs> like saluting it like touching it every time you walk <laughs> Absolutely. that's amazing though what an incredible thing to be able to I was going to say to give them, but do you know what I mean? Like we've used that to solve things. Yeah. And then it That's gets better amazing. with these beetles. So yeah. Okay. They benefit us. I think all too often we 
we only value the ones that we get any benefit from. So like pollinators, it's why they get so much of the glory, right? Because everybody knows about pollination. Everybody knows that we need that service for food for us because we're just so Mm. self-centered, aren't we? So we're not thinking about the recycling of like other organic matter and things like that. But, you know, they're just cool within their own right. Even if they didn't provide that service, Burying beetles, which are a subset of the carrion beetle family, so those are the ones, the necrophorus, their common name for the several species that we have is burying beetles. And that um, Mm. relates to their amazing behaviour of quite literally burying the carcass. Mm. And they bury the food to avoid competition because there's other scavengers, you know, foxes, badgers, whatnot, lots of things that would be interested in feeding on that. So they conceal it and then they raise their young underground. And that is an amazing feat in itself, right? But they they set up a little nest. So these beetles invest as much care as birds tending to their chicks because they feed on the carcass and regurgitate food to the offspring. It's really sweet. Beautiful, isn't it? It's just lovely. (laughs) Again, if anyone is eating sausage and mash at this time, I do (laughs) apologise. Um... That is nice. It is. <laughs> it is nice so. that beetles do that. Like it's it's a very I don't know. Like like you said, for birds and mammals, we expect that kind of parental care, but you don't mm-hmm. expect it or know of it. I guess more for like beetles or insects. Yeah, and it's really unique within these guys as well because it's both male and female. It's bi parental care, so they're both tending to wow. the young. Yeah. Disney, come on, get on it. There's a show, there's a film waiting to happen about carrying beetles here (laughs) (laughs) underground. But I mean, maybe not suitable for kids if it's eating a carcass, but I don't know. Times are changing. Circle of life, circle of life. (laughs) Circle of life. Back to the Lion King, come on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I was going to ask you, like, I... I love beetles. You love beetles. They're undeniably cute and incredible. But I feel like you might have answered this question quite a lot in what you've just said. But what do you say to people about why should they like beetles? Why, like you said, it's very easy to think about the pollinators. But why should we like beetles? Because they're important. We need them. We, we really do. So we hear about pollination and bees and butterflies. Mm. But beetles were the original pollinators. They were pollinating way before bees even came onto the scene. So... Oh, the they're totally underrated in that in that context. They're, so they're providing services through pollination. They're recycling, um, as I've already mentioned, um, and not just carrion. Another big one is dung, right? So dung beetles. I, Ryan's pulling a face right now, folks. Uh, <laughs> well, do you know what? I don't know why I'm pulling a face. I walk dogs for a living. I see oh, no. every single day. I don't know why I Come made on, that dude. face. No, dung beetles are brilliant. If I didn't study carrion beetles, I most definitely would work on dung beetles instead. So they, again, are incredibly important at recycling nutrients. They're really important Mm. for our our soils to maintain a healthy pasture. If you've got massive mammals defecating, what's going to happen to that dung? It's just going to sit on the ground and actually spread disease and all sorts of nasty things. So dung beetles help remove that waste which is beneficial to the livestock and really, really important for the soils. And also them and themselves are providing food for other animals, insects in general. But yeah, so beetles are sacrificial. They get eaten by lots of things from hedgehogs to birds um, and all sorts. So they are bottom of the food chain, really important food. And dung beetles, actually, it's been calculated how much they are worth in terms of their economic value, right? It was worked out first for the US, and that was about a billion pounds a year that they're worth to agriculture. 
for this process of removing dung. Um, Jesus. And I actually, I looked it up because I couldn't remember what the stats was for UK. That was it. £367 million dung beetles are worth to British agriculture. Yeah. I didn't know we had dung beetles in the UK. Ah, there we go. So, yeah, you've got about... Am I just thinking of the classic dung bit that we see on documentaries yeah. rolling it? Do they, well, they work the, the same in the UK? Yeah, so most people would think of that. That's your iconic dung beetle, right? Yeah. In the UK, we've got about 60 species and they are mostly... Oh, what? Yeah, yeah. They're mostly <laughs> really small, though. So we've got, we've got a few that are, what, maybe um, two and a half centimetres in size. This is your classic, mm. like, door beetle. So the lovely bumbly ones that you might see out on a woodland walk. And if, if they flip themselves over or if you flip them over, they've got that beautiful iridescent blue, purple underside. Oh, okay. Gorgeous. And they're tunnelers. So what they do is they, if you, if you flipped over a cow pat and you were lucky, you might find a big hole underneath. <laughs> Um, so they kind of take like sausage shaped clumps of dung down underground, um, and then we'll lay an egg down there. So they're provisioning when they're burying dung like this, they're provisioning their offspring with some food. So they're, they're our biggest ones, but we don't have any that do any of the rolling, unfortunately. Okay. It's really sad. Ours ours are very British and they make (laughs) sausages out of it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're like, sorry, lads, uh, we only make sausages out of this (laughs) No That's the most British thing I've heard. <laughs> and and the others, um, they get referred to as dwellers. So they're much smaller. They're kind of like six six millimetres or so in length. Um, and, and they the live in the... Aphodians. Yeah, they just, they just move around and feed and breed within the dung pat. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Another great book life. title right there. <laughs> feed and breed within the dung pat. <laughs> But yeah, they're all, they're both equally important. Um, I saw my first rollers when I went to Spain on fieldwork a few years back. Oh my God. Oh God, they were just amazing to watch. Did you see them rolling? Yeah. Yeah. Sounded like a limp biscuit question, but not. That just went through my head, yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Did they have red baseball caps on? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's what's really cool is like how smooth and perfectly spherical those dung balls are. I've always thought that. Whenever mm. I've seen it on a documentary, I'm like, they couldn't have rolled that. Like, yeah, I, I feel do. like, was that a filmmaker just like rolling a bit of shit that they had like, made and gone, have that? Because <laughs> it's so spherical and like so perfect. perfect. It's, it's wonderful. It's really and they do that on their poo. own. They're perfect poo. It's just a perfect poo. It's like something out of the, like, you know, a post scene from Ghost, the film, where it's just carved perfectly. Do you know what I mean? You know, I'm like, yeah. that's beautiful. <laughs> Very disgusting version of that, but... It doesn't even look disgusting. It's so kind of dry no, and you're right. sculptured mm. at that point. It just looks like a piece of art. I'm not even joking. It just That's looks very poetic. Flawless. <laughs> and actually, I heard those beetles before I saw them. I kind of just wandered off on my own at this point, lost my group. And <laughs> this is not how you should do field work, by the way, folks. Um, out on yeah. like a mountainside. Yeah, it was a bit bad. Um, but uh, I heard this this weird like kind of clicking kind of scratchy noise and I just kind of crouched mm. down and tried to suss out where it was coming from and it was actually two males fighting next to a massive dung ball and the female was just sat on top and so it was two ma- males like one of the males <laughs> had gone to the effort of rolling this ball right and she was yeah. sat there because she had been like oh that dung ball's excellent She's I'm gonna pair up with this. him mm. um, and then a rival had come along and he was trying to steal the dung ball so I just oh, sat what? there and and watched these guys for ages. It was brilliant. I did collect one of the males. I can't be certain which one it was. 
Oh no, you've got to, you've got to be certain, <laughs> I Ash. Know. I don't know, but um, just make lie. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to think it was the sneaky one that was trying to steal the ball. Yeah. When you took the specimen, did you notice it looked particularly disappointed? <laughs> <laughs> Because that—that's a clue. That could be a clue if it was really like, oh, for f**k's sake! Like, <laughs> whereas, whereas if it was more a bit like, oh, yeah, f-, then it might not have been. Yeah, Ryan, if I could, if I could um, <laughs> interpret insects' emotions, I don't think that I'd be able to do the job that I do. I don't think. No, or you'd be doing a much different job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. For maybe millions more. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. There'd probably be a, more of a value on it, yeah. <laughs> um, there's something I wanted to ask you because I saw you like, briefly talk about it on social media um, and I wanted to ask you, you spoke recently about why we still collect, I guess this feeds nicely on what you just said, why we still collect yeah. specimens and insects. Why did you bring this up as a topic to highlight on social media? Uh, so social media, sorry. Yeah, so I brought this up last week as part of the Global Science Show. I mm. talked about insects in general before on that, but um, this is a, a topic that always comes up, and I find actually it's coming up more and more. Quite often, you know, just sharing pictures of museum collections online, you'll get one person that mm. goes oh, this is horrible, like, just seeing rows and rows of pin specimens, can't believe, like, you still do this. Or it'll be a comment in person from somebody. You know, pre-COVID, used to do quite a few public events, like, where we would take additional specimens out, show people, there'd be a theme, whatever. Unfortunately, it's always the kids that will go, oh, are these real? Um, yes, yeah, they, they're all real, they're all real. Oh, <laughs> are they dead? Yeah. Yeah, they're dead. Did you kill them? <laughs> and then that's a really tough one to answer um, yeah. and to explain like, to a five-year-old. <laughs> um, but it's not just the youngsters that ask these questions, and it's a valid question. Um, it's it's sometimes conservationists that are asking, like, well, if we need to protect insects, like, why why are you killing them? Why are you killing them for science? Like, why mm. do we still need to collect them? And I think it's such a good question, and it's something that we really yeah. need to educate people on. Um, spread the word about it's really difficult to identify insects i think that first and foremost is something that occasionally puts people off getting into entomology because it's hard so that that is the main reason we collect specimens in order to accurately identify them and that identification is so key because we don't we don't know anything about that animal if we can't say what it is. We don't know what habitat it requires. We don't know what it needs. So we can't even begin to start thinking about conserving yeah. it unless we know what it is. So it's really, really important. And, you know, you have to have a specimen because, because they're hard to identify. We're sometimes looking at really minuscule features, right? So... For lots of things like your big butterflies, your macro moths, a photo will suffice. Photography has advanced massively since the Victorian times when collecting started. We wouldn't need these vast collections of of, of butterflies um, if photography had been like it like it is today back then. But these collections have been put to good use, which I can come back to later. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, I think people have this expectation that photography is so amazing, like you don't need any vulture specimens. Um, that's what we call it. We'll call it a voucher specimen once you've collected one. A voucher. Um, a voucher. Cool. You can't like re- you can't redeem any gifts at um, 
any <laughs> department stores. This cannot be used within the gift shop. No. Um, so they're, they're just really, really important because a photo doesn't show you the features that you need to see. Quite often we're looking at yeah. like the bristles on the legs, you know, some really obscure feature. And this is the thing that will separate two species. And you really need to be able to see that. And even if the specimen is relatively moderately sized, you, you, you can't just say, oh, excuse me, sir, Mr. Beetle, could you just um, lie down under the microscope and just present your right leg? OK, fantastic. That's great. It's just it doesn't work. You need to have something still. We've under tried. The microscope. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, for our, for our British insects as well, like British beetles, we've got over 4000 species and a lot of them are really, really small. So mm. we need to get them under the scope, but also a lot of them we need to dissect them. So the thing that might separate two species is probably going to be an internal character. And a lot of the time entomologists talk about insect genitalia. And that's just a matter of fact. That's just who they are. Yeah, it <laughs> how really the, is. Sorry, how the hell do you dissect a beetle? It's hard. A lot of uh, <laughs> coleopterists will make their own bespoke equipment, right? Usually involves a very small micro pin or even mm. like little bits of scalpel blades and things. It's all very much Blue Peter and entomology. Here's one I made earlier. Um, <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite cheap in that respect. Although a good microscope is essential. Um, yeah, it, a, a lot of practice and a steady hand is what's required. A steady hand. <laughs> and then access to, to the keys, to the, to the books that, re, that, that have that reference uh, material, the, have the resources that help you take mm. things through, look at those features and work out which species you've got in front of you. But where books kind of let people down is that because there's so many, you can't have an illustration or a photograph of each of these species if you've got 4,000 beetles in one book, that's going to be a mm. massive book. It's just, it's just not feasible. So what museum collections have is this wonderful like reference library. So we're used by the amateur community, by other researchers. Um, so they can come and bring their own material in and use our collections as a reference oh, wow. to compare. Because um, it's so mm. much easier having that reference side by side. So, yeah, massively important. And that is unfortunately the reason that we do still have to collect to get that identification right. Because you said at the beginning, like people would say, what well, if they're so endangered, why do we still need to do this? But I feel like in the realms of why species, whatever the species are endangered, then this may not be the leading cause. Yeah, absolutely. And there right. are other things that we could be like, well, you could always stop doing that. Yeah. And maybe we could help more. Yeah. Insects are the bottom of the food chain. So they are a healthy population of a particular insect is able to withstand mm. predation, right? That, yes. you know, they would be predated on by lots of lots of other things. So if you're taking one or two voucher specimens for identification purposes for science, you are not harming that population. If that population no. is harmed by you taking one individual, that population was going extinct anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's about habitat and people have pointed the finger at insect collectors of the past, um, but it, it's not really a valid argument, not not when it's done correctly. I obviously don't condone collecting for collecting's sake. I don't condone collecting for art purposes and things like that. Um, yes. But it is important that the amateur community are able to participate in this still because there are so few paid entomologists. Um, most of what we know about British insects is from our mm. fantastic um basically volunteer-led base of entomologists who dedicate all their spare time to contributing 
amazing knowledge and records. Um, well, more and more, we're seeing more citizen science things pop up around the different species as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's without things like that and without the knowledge being able to widely be shared around those groups, there's a massive roadblock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Last question of the podcast is... <gasps> Already? <laughs> Are you braced? Quick. Okay. I know it goes quick, doesn't it? It's the great thing about Into the Wild, mate. You just you have so much fun <laughs> <laughs> before you know it. Um if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone regarding the natural world, what would you pass on? I would actually say think small. Like think small. Think mm. about the little things. It's the insects. It's it's the invertebrates. They're the ones that run this world. Right. We rely on them for everything. And you might not realise it, but they are impacting so many aspects of our lives through all these services that they provide us. So think small, um, think about them and think about little changes that you can make that are going to benefit them and support them because we can all do our bit. Just little actions can really benefit them. That's a question I didn't ask. How can we, we spoke about pollinators and loads of people are helping pollinators in their gardens and Mm. stuff. How can we help beetles in our gardens or our outdoor space? Yeah, if you're if you're lucky enough to have an outdoor space, a, a garden or something, there are a few things you can do. I mean, the obvious ones, right, is don't spray loads of nasty chemicals. It's not needed. We definitely, Obvs. yeah. Who's doing that? We don't need that. Um, <laughs> and then kind of depends on like. You could help a whole host of different beetles. Um, So if you add a pond into your garden, you're going to be getting those lovely diving beetles, maybe, or some other water beetles. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're going to love you for that. Be very, very grateful. Um, You can also leave some deadwood or create some deadwood habitat because that is um, that is something that's desperately needed. Um, So if you are (gasps) cutting down a tree or doing anything like that, don't just burn it. <laughs> Don't just, you know, get rid of it. Have a little area where you leave that just to rot mm. down. And it's not just beetles that are going to benefit from that. There's lots of species that rely on deadwood. So that's a really great thing to do. Um, but overall, just be more okay with being untidy. Like we don't need these manicured lawns. We don't need to rake the leaves up. It really pains me when I see people raking up leaves and then like throwing the leaves away. I know, in a bag. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. (laughs) What? No. Where's that going? I don't even know where those leaves are going, people. Where are they going? (laughs) I mean, it's one thing like composting them. Composting, yeah, okay, that's fine. Yeah. But just sweep, if you really have to sweep them, sweep them over into a corner. Like have have a little wild corner. That Mm. leaf litter is really important. It's providing shelter and cover over the winter period. Um, So not just beetles, lots of other things are going to need that. So yeah, just be okay about being messy. Let things get a bit wild. Mm. Nice. Well, Ash, thank you so much for being on Into the Wild. It's been a pleasure to chat to you about beetles. I've learned a lot (laughs) about the lifestyle and everything about them. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you so thank you so much for being on the show oh thank you so much it was an absolute pleasure thanks again for listening everyone if you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work Ash is working on then you can do so on social media her tags are in the write up of this episode also you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram and if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, however running it is not free. 
If you'd like to support us and say thanks, then you can do so by buying me a coffee. Our Ko-fi link is in the write-up of this episode. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.